0: On July 26, 2007, Lekatsky and Robert Bigelow flew to Vernal, Utah, the nearest airport to the ranch that could accommodate Bigelow's private jet. Within an hour of landing in Vernal, both men were walking on the property. The ranch looked its finest on this beautiful July day, the Russian olives and cedars were in full bloom, and the pastures were looking their verdant best. Bigelow and Lekatsky sauntered on the property for a short while and then headed for the nearest building. At the end of the entrance to the ranch was a small, picturesque dwelling which had been named Homestead 1. It housed Jean and Richard Dietz, a husband-wife team who had diligently managed the ranch property on Bigelow's behalf since 1999. Bigelow introduced Lekatsky to the managers in the dining room-slash-kitchen of their house, which they had lovingly upgraded into a comfortable two-person home. Abruptly, Lekatsky was transfixed by something behind where Bigelow and the couple were chatting. An unearthly technological device had suddenly and silently appeared out of nowhere in the adjacent kitchen. It looked to be a complex, semi-opaque, yellowish, tubular structure. Lekatsky said nothing, but stared at the object which hovered silently. He looked away, looked back, and there it still was. It remained visible to Lekatsky for no more than 30 seconds before vanishing on the spot. About 2 hours after they had arrived at the property, Lekatsky and Bigelow were driving back to Vernal Airport. Although conversing normally with Bigelow, Lekatsky's mind was racing. Here he was, a ballistic missile physicist, a senior analyst at the DIA without any history of encountering anomalies, and he had just seen a vision unlike anything he had ever witnessed in his life. Lekatsky confessed later that prior to this stunning vision, he had never seen anything unusual in his life. Yet, within a mere 60 minutes of being on the Skinwalker property, he had seen clearly, in broad daylight, a technological device in the adjacent room within a few feet of where he stood. This was no blurry photo of a distant saucer in the sky. This was an in-your-face, up-close-and-personal apparition of some kind of technology. The fact that he and he alone of the four people in the room had seen it was also not lost on Lukatsky. Moth people. Welcome to Noctivagant, the show about the strange, paranormal, otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Nick, and I am joined by the conspiratorial duo, Jay and Rory Wicks. Hello. Should I be a fan? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hello. On this show, we are going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivagant.
1: Hey, guys, we're here and some of us are queer, right? I think most of us are like, I
2: am the
0: only one.
1: Right. So I guess, you know, 66 percent.
2: Two thirds of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even if you like look further to our our main social circles. Oh, that's uh, like
1: everyone except for like three people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gets lonely sometimes. Ah, no, you the one true ally. Oh, no, thank you. You're one true ally. All right. So are you guys ready to get into this?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get
0: into, so we shouldn't dilly-dally or whatever the kids say these days. That is true. And for our listeners at home, what we're getting into is Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret government UFO program by James T. Lekatsky, Colm A. Kelleher, and George Knapp. Uh, This book just came out not that long ago, and it uh, made all kinds of waves when it came out because there was- No warning before this was dropped. Yeah,
2: Um, it was like Beyonce's secret album. Everyone remember that? Yeah.
0: I, I am now imagining George Knapp doing like the Beyonce dance and it is, is hurting me on the inside very deeply. I want you to know that. Which That's Beyonce funny.
2: dance are you I, thinking of? I don't of? know how,
0: what it's called. The one where she's like straight has her arms straight out in front of her and looks like she's oh, like the put a ring on it. Dance? Yeah, the put a ring on it. I'm imagining George Knapp doing the put a ring on it dance. That's what's in my head now. And I don't know if it's ever going to leave.
1: That is that is horrifying.
0: That is
2: That is that especially is. because in
0: my head he's wearing the same like outfit she was wearing (laughs) in the music video.
2: That's such a that's such a good like representation of Robert Bigelow yanking his money away from all of those UFO groups where they (laughs) wouldn't get their shit together.
0: (laughs) All right. Um so before we get into this book, a couple of disclaimers that we wanted to make clear. Uh over the course of this book, if you're not aware, we're going to be discussing government programs. So it should be no surprise to you that you're going to hear a whole mess of acronyms. Oh God. So many Uh, acronyms where they appear. We're going to do our best to give you the full name the first time they're referenced in the episode, though. After that, we're going to refer to them by their acronym. So a listing of the important terms is going to be included in the episode notes. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Uh, Also, this book was reviewed by the Department of Defense prior to release Mm -hmm. due to the nature of the book's contents. To meet their requirements, some names were removed from the book. Specifically, those of individuals who are still employed with the government. Yeah, or yeah, active duty. Yeah. military. So, if you hear the name of a government official, that person is either retired or gave explicit permission to have their name listed herein.
1: And then, and they are also very clear in the book when it is somebody when it is when they reference somebody and it's not their real name. They tell you that's not their real
0: name. Yeah, though I don't do that in the summary because I yeah. didn't have room. Uh, so, if you want to know who. Is a fake name. You're going to have to pick up the book, which you should. It's a fun
2: book. Read the book.
0: It's uh, it's well worth the read. On that note, also, uh, because we're going to be talking about some medical cases, there are obviously HIPAA regulations involved. So some names there are also going to be changed. Uh And with that said, let's get into it.
2: HIPAA compliance is very important, guys.
0: I'm aware of that. I work a lot with HIPAA compliance.
2: That is for the listeners.
1: It is the number one, uh, or what? Medi- Medicare, and our medical insurance and all that's number one regulated uh, industry in the
0: Medicare, Medicaid
1: is. Yeah, yep. You know what number two is? Mortgages.
0: Yeah, we deal nothing but regulations. All right, let's get into this and not talk about the things that make me sad. Yep. Section one. We. We don't study aliens, biochemist Dr. Colm Kelleher is quoted as saying. We study anomalies. They're the same thing in a lot of people's minds, but not our minds. A statement which, in a way, expresses the core philosophy of the OSAP-BASS program. One of the most thorough and least understood efforts on behalf of the United States government to unravel the mysteries of the phenomenon. One which authors George Knapp, Dr. Colm Kelleher and Dr. James Lakatsky argue led directly not only to the June 25th UAP task force report and the ensuing creation of the Pentagon's permanent UAP office, but to the current disclosure movement, which has taken over the airwaves of many mainstream media outlets in the past few years. The Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Applications Program, from here on referred to as AAWSP, was a government research program which ran from 2008 to 2010 under the umbrella of the Defense Intelligence Agency, or DIA as we will refer to it. It was the first fully funded government UFO program that we know of since the closure of Project Blue Book in 1969 and the first known UFO program to include not only technological craft within its scope, but also the paranormal events and high strangeness which can often accompany encounters with the craft. A decision which, well, hotly contested, allowed the OSAP team to dig deeper and reach further into the depths of the phenomenon than any have before them. However, before we get too deep into the history and accomplishments of the program, it is important that we first clarify what OSAP was and was not. When discussing OSAP, you will often hear us refer to it as Bass, which stands for Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, a private corporation founded by aerospace billionaire Robert Bigelow, which was directly created to contract with the U.S. government to fulfill the objectives of the OSAP program. Furthermore, it is important to understand that OSAP is not ATip, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which you may know as the small Pentagon office where Lou Elizondo worked, investigating and analyzing UFO encounters with naval pilots. Furthermore, despite what the 2017 New York Times article, glowing auras and black money claims, the $22 million allocated to ATIP was, in fact, allocated and used by OSAP. It's pretty
1: understandable misunderstanding.
0: Yeah, and the source of that confusion rests in an unclassified email from Senator Harry Reid, an early supporter in driving force behind OSAP, when he was discussing the OSAP program with the then Deputy Secretary of Defense. In that letter, the ATIP name was used as an unclassified nickname for the classified OSAP program. When the Pentagon later adopted the ATIP nickname to create their own internal office, confusion became inevitable. And for the last several years, many believe that ATIP was the fully funded program, a misconception which the authors now seek to correct,
1: which honestly is the Pentagon's fault. Why the fuck would they use that, that that name?
0: Because
2: nobody in this entire government has ever spoken to anyone that was not physically inside their office looking at them.
0: Or if you want to get conspiratorial, they did it specifically to uh, bury OSAP. Yeah. Bury the lead. Yeah. No, I was I was just thinking that, too. Compared to ATIP, OSAP's scope was far wider, including not only current sightings by both civilian and military officers, but also several databases of international sighting records. More importantly, it also included a study of psychic phenomenon, paranormal events, and the study of consciousness as it relates to the topic of UFO or UAP, whichever you prefer. All of which, as many listeners may know, tend to overlap. That is especially true regarding the mysterious phenomenon which have long plagued Utah's Uinta Basin and the property known as Skinwalker Ranch. Lakatsky saw all these phenomena as deeply interrelated and believed that to only study the physical craft was an exercise in futility, as he is quoted as saying, You're going to be hunting for aliens cruising by from now until doomsday and you're never going to solve anything. However, before we get to the ranch and the phenomenon documented there by the OSAP Bass team, let's first explore the history and key players in the creation of the OSAP program. And all of that begins with former Senate Majority Leader Senator Harry Reid, RIP. Despite his immense political credibility, Reid had long been known as the UFO senator, ever since he hinted at his interest in the topic in a 1989 interview with Las Vegas journalist and UFO icon George Knapp, where Reid advocated for the possibility of renewed congressional reviews for the UFO issue. Unlike most of his peers, Reed had always been fascinated with the idea of visitors from other worlds, ever since he was a small boy, laid out on a mattress in his backyard, staring up at the stars. His interest later intensified after he got the chance to visit Robert Bigelow's National Institute of Discovery Science, aka NIDS, a private scientific institution founded by Bigelow, which had previously run a nearly 20-year-long study of the anomalies at Skinwalker Ranch. Reed was invited to sit in on a meeting with the NIDS Advisory Board, an all-star assortment of the biggest names in anomalous research, including Dr. Hal Puthoff, Dr. Jock-Fillet, astronaut Harrison Schmidt, Dr. John Mack, and former intelligence officer, Dr. John Alexander. Also in attendance were Dr. Colm Kelleher, physicist Dr. Eric Davis, and microbiologist Dr. George Onet. Reed was fascinated with all he heard from the NIDS board and began to foster a relationship with Bigelow. However, his involvement in the political hot potato of UAP remained hidden behind closed doors, spoken of only with trusted staffers, all of whom pressed Reed to not take his interest into any public forums for fear of damaging his credibility. And while he did sometimes speak with other interested senators, nothing came from his interest until 2007, when our next major figure and co-author of this book enters the picture, engineer Dr. James Lukatsky. At the time, Lukatsky was working within the DIA's Defense Warning Office. While there, he encountered and read the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by Knapp and Kelleher, which detailed the investigation of Skinwalker Ranch by the NIDS team. Concluding it was time to look deeper into if these phenomenon could pose a national security risk, he wrote a letter to Robert Bigelow requesting access to the ranch, which Bigelow granted. There, during a conversation inside the home of ranch managers Gene and Richard Dietz, Lakatsky was stunned when he witnessed the apparition of a complex, semi-opaque technological device appear hovering in the ranch manager's kitchen, a device that he would later describe as a close approximation to the tubular bells image found on the cover of an album of the same name by artist Mike Oldsfields. The apparition hovered for 30 seconds, then vanished without a trace. Lekatsky was stunned, having never had an anomalous sighting previously in his life, only to see the device within an hour of stepping foot on the ranch. Sensing an opportunity, Bigelow put Lekatsky in touch with Reed, who was of a similar mindset to Lekatsky. Following their conversation, Reed met with two key members of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Republican Ted Stevens and Democrat Dan Inouye, both of whom saw the value of a more in-depth investigation into UAP. Working together, they secured the $22 million of funding for a fledgling OSAP program, which would be managed by Lekatsky acting as program manager from within the DIA. Now funded, Lakatsky wrote up and released a request for proposals, also known as an RFP, seeking private scientific institutions who could contract with the DIA to fulfill program objectives, which were, mind you, nothing less than the study of the following elements of the UAP phenomenon – Life within the craft, propulsion technologies, control technologies, power generation, spatial temporal translation, advanced materials, configurations, structures, signature reduction technologies, including optical, infrared, radio frequency, and acoustic, human interface, human effects, armaments, and other peripheral areas in relation to the other categories. You know, just a little. Yeah,
1: and I like how at the end of the day, they
0: also just had and other. Yep, and it is here that Robert Bigelow reenters the picture. Long interested in the UAP phenomenon, Robert Bigelow has poured more private money into the research of UAP and anomalous phenomenon than any other known person in history. His business empire began with real estate, which allowed him to create and fund the NIDS team. Focusing their research primarily on Skinwalker Ranch and research of the survival of consciousness after death, NIDS performed thorough scientific investigations of UAP, paranormal phenomenon, cattle mutilations, and more winning many accolades for their scientific rigor and high-quality investigations. This continued until 2004, when, frustrated by the lack of progress, the NIDS investigation was disbanded, and Bigelow turned his attention to the development of aerospace technologies, most notable being TransHab, inflatable enclosures which could be used to create a livable habitat in space. However, Bigelow never lost his interest, and when the OSAP RFP was released, He jumped on the opportunity to fulfill the government contract. Bigelow founded Bass as a sister company to Bigelow Aerospace and sent a comprehensive research proposal to Lakatsky. As they were the only private company to respond to the RFP, Bass was awarded the contract. They immediately set to work creating the infrastructure necessary to support the project and hiring a crack team of 50 investigators, scientists, and support staff. And thus, they embarked on a perilous journey into the world of the strange, which would leave many investigators rattled and, some say, haunted to this very day. Which brings us to our first discussion question. Whoa! So, one element of these early chapters which really struck me was the role that the phenomenon might be playing in the creation of the program. The Republican Senator, Ted Stevens, claimed to have had a UFO encounter during his time as a pilot, motivating him to support Reed's proposal. And then Lukatsky had his vision of the tubular bells within an hour of stepping foot on the ranch, cementing in his mind the need for an OSAP program. Do you think the phenomenon involved could have wanted OSAP to come into existence and taken steps to secure that eventuality? If so, why? Or do you think this is all just coincidence?
1: Well, I, I mean, I believe that coincidences do happen, right? But I also believe very strongly in synchronicities. Uh, and this both of those things, uh, kind of feel more like synchronicities than just a coincidence, right? Specifically when it comes to, uh, the, like, you know, the phenomenon, it feels like once you've opened your mind to it, it, it's too late. You know, it, it, it starts to happen. You start to see things. It's like, uh, you know that 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 when you buy a new car or buy a blue car and then you see blue cars everywhere yeah it, it it feels like it's just like that, and a lot of it is probably because you're looking for it now, right?
0: yeah, like like when if you like run over a jogger in the middle of the night and you keep driving, you start seeing their face everywhere, similar, sure, that is absolutely a hypothetical that <laughs> did not happen on Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks
2: for covering for me
1: <laughs> but I, I I think ultimately. I, I think that once you've kind of opened your mind to the phenomenon, you, you're you going to see or experience more, or you're going to try to. Um, for example, uh, let's look at John Mack. John Mack opened up his entire life to the phenomenon. He didn't see a goddamn thing, but he didn't stop looking.
0: Right. So I guess, we, so you're in, then, I mean, with your mentions about synchronicities, is your idea more that... If there was phenomenon at play causing this organization to be created, it was more the will of the universe or something like that than than the agenda of some specific other.
1: In a sense, yes. I don't think that there isn't necessarily uh, an agenda at play by some other entity being phenomenon, whatever, Uh, because I think that there's a lot of uh, support to say that there might be Um, and I might talk about that later because sure. it, it goes deeper into some of the things that happen in this book. Um, but I, and I do think the phenomenon had a part in it. Okay. So everybody's different, right? Yeah. Maybe Lekatsky and uh, Ted Stevens needed that push to get them over the edge to be able to fund a program like this. And of course the phenomenon or the other entities want, want uh, a program like OSAP to exist. I, I don't think that there is a, a part of the phenomenon that doesn't want humans, people to seek it more.
0: Well, I mean, why show up? Why encourage them?
1: Right. And I, and I think it feeds off of, off of it. So, of course, it wants more and more people to look into it, more and more people to investigate it. Um, and this was an opportunity to do that very well. You know, and with government funding in a way that wasn't going to happen otherwise and hasn't happened even to this day to the same extent
0: that we know of that that we're aware of. Right. Well, Jay, what do you think?
2: I I think that trying to s- subscribe an actual agenda to the phenomenon is um I the only word that's coming to my mind is problematic, but I want to use it in its original context, not in its modern context.
0: Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh,
2: yeah, of like I I feel like that's problematic at best, much in the same way that attempting to uh subscribe understandable motivations to a spider is problematic at best. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, but in the opposite direction of the if The phenomenon, if it has a mind, which I don't think it could be just because it's so large, I don't think that it's it's quote unquote mind would work in a way that we could even really comprehend to the point where I'm not sure it I'm not sure it's capable of having desire. I'm not sure if it's even necessarily capable of making what we would consciously be able to describe as a decision. I think it's closer to I think it's closer to the to the evangelical saying of when you step towards God, he runs towards you. Like I I think that I think that when you reach for the phenomenon most of the time things reach back. And it just depends on how how able you are at that moment to grasp the hand that formed just because you reached yours out.
0: It's interesting. So I mean, by that framework, the phenomena would almost act as a sort of psychological mirror to us. It yes, w- you know, a lot like what John Keel was saying. I it was will, just going to say it's that's the John Keel phenomenon. It will validate whatever you project onto it
2: well mm-hmm. also what they were discussing uh jumping ahead quite a bit what they were discussing in like the last couple chapters of the book of this paradigm shift that some scientists have gone through of they're just like no it starts in the conscious and then it moves to physical reality of we we create what we believe and i i also just view the phenomenon closer to the Hindu idea of the karmic cycle of it is a, it is a completely natural force that we don't understand because it exists outside of our physical reality and predates not only our world, but likely predates the current iteration of our universe. And it's constantly working. It's a constantly moving natural machine that causes things to happen, but it doesn't make individual choices. It's essentially like like it's the ultimate supercomputer that has no physical that has no physical hard drive or CPU. It's just constantly taking in input and then sput- spitting out output that results in things like Dogmen and Shadow People and possibly a lot of UAPs. And it's just like it, it doesn't. It doesn't call to people. There are people out there that go, hey, what's that? And it spins around and starts walking towards them just because they acknowledged it. And that's what it's supposed to do.
0: That's an interesting idea. See, the reason I put this question first is because I think one of the central questions, not only through this book, but whenever you're talking about the, the topic of Skinwalker Ranch is the question of agency. Uh, Because a lot of people have expressed that they believe there is some form of agency to the presence on the ranch. It has it has a mind. It has it makes tactical decisions. It plays tricks on games on people. And so really, I think one thing that as I guess just paranormal researchers as we're going into this, I'd like us to keep in mind is really it's it comes down to the question of can there be elements of the phenomenon which are conscious Whereas uh, the whereas the phenomenon in general is not kind of like an umbrella under which maybe certain unique individuals fall or are they all expressions of a singular intent?
2: I I lean towards the former and again, going from from the Hindu framework of that's essentially what the gods are in the Hindu pantheon. And to a certain extent, that's what that's that's what they are in the in like kind of the Buddhist cosmology of the karmic cycle, like like I described it, it doesn't make conscious decisions, but there are emanations from it, kind of these embodiments of aspects of its reality that become the gods and they can absolutely make conscious decisions. But they are they are a minuscule fracture of the whole.
0: Well, and if you go, I mean, there's kind of a new a, a popular idea which you see a lot in new age circles um where you know the, the whole idea where when you die your personal individuality or consciousness kind of remelds into the god mind because everything is one consciousness we're all the same person living different lives and all that um and that that idea would kind of uh fall in line with that you yeah. know we are that maybe the more fractal you become from that whatever that all presence is the uh, more individualized you become. Yeah. So like the gods, yeah, they have their own individual agency, but they still have a purpose that was given mm. to them by the universe. Then you get down to us pesky humans. And I mean, we're so detached from our purpose. Some people think their purpose is to, I don't know, whack off all day. I mean, it, <laughs> there are people out there who, who make their entire purpose around collecting and curating a weird digital museum of porn. Like these are things people have decided to do with their lives. I mean, I, I but and all I'm saying is that if that is true, that we are all one person. Maybe that's, I guess, why we don't seem so divine is because we're so we're such a minuscule part, a single grain of sand. Well,
1: and if you're going off of the idea that we're all one consciousness,
0: which, by the way, I'm going to say I'm arguing that for devil's advocate, yeah, I no. don't. Per, I'm not personally convinced of that, but that's just me.
1: Yeah, I, I, all I, all I was going to say is, I I feel like the longer that society continues to go without accepting that to an extent right and 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 seeing that the more fractured and and off kilter almost will continue to be
0: i mean sure if if that is the nature of the universe and we are fighting tooth and nail against the grain of the universe yeah i don't think it's going to go well for us yeah that said we have no way of knowing what is the truth here at least until we die presumably at this point that is true yeah
2: what do you think nick
0: I mean me? No, the nick behind you. I'm not going to turn around cuz now I'm scared.
2: Nick Jonas. <laughs> if Nick
0: Jonas is in my basement. I'm going to commit a homicide. <laughs> this is a stand your ground state, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. Great.
2: Absolutely.
0: I got I got a rock down. I got a rock down here somewhere or the ashtray. There's two swords down here. Yeah, I don't know where those are though. I see golf clubs or the the
1: dumbbells. I could use those. The dumbbells would be better. Golf clubs are actually a really bad weapon because the shafts are
0: hollow. I'm not going to ask how you know that. I'm I'm a golfer. Oh, I guess that (laughs) makes sense.
2: I have located the swords. FYI, I can point them out in the case of an emergency.
0: Good. Let me know if Nick Jonas walks in. There's one. All right. So anyway, to answer the question, um... I don't know, like I was definitely intrigued when I noticed that several individuals that went into the creation of the offset program had prior experiences that drove them towards it. I think probably I fall more in line with what Rory was saying, where it may just be synchronicities, kind of events that were going to happen no matter what. So things were pushed that direction. Not to say I really fully believe in destiny or fate, mostly because I I have some troubling issues with regarding free will in that idea. Yep. Um, that's it. It is conceivable to me that there are maybe sometimes certain events need to happen. Like yep. there are certain destined events, and maybe that's what this was, or maybe it was coincidence. Um, the one thing I I couldn't stop thinking about though is if it was, let's say it was an actual plan enacted by the intelligence at Skinwalker Ranch, because that's where all the research was focused, right? Um, why? That's the thing I can't I can't get over. It's like, why would it want? Especially because we know from for anyone who's seen the documentary Hunt for the Skinwalker or read the book, you know, this when the NIDS team was investigating it after the first year and a half, the phenomenon ghosted them. It stopped performing for them. It basically tried to actively avoid their efforts to detect it. So if it was so reclusive, why was it reaching out to create OSAp? The only thing I can think of is it would be one step as part of this larger plan to eventually lead to disclosure, but we're going to get there at the very end of this episode.
1: Yeah, and maybe NIDS wasn't doing uh, doing what the phenomenon wanted
0: at the time. Or Yeah, or maybe it just didn't like Eric Davis or yeah. something like that. We don't know.
2: It, 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 it The fucking star charts on everyone at NIDS were all fucked up and they're just like, mm, this is too many Geminis. Well, you see, just, that's the thing. Is like, <laughs> half the people who were NIDS became OSAP.
1: Yeah. It was uh, mostly the same people, yeah. Did, Plus more. Did yeah. the
2: intelligence at Skinwalker Ranch not like the old acronym and was like come back <laughs> with a different acronym? It could
0: it could just be that they didn't have enough poll. Who That's... knows? I mean, it could also be it wasn't the right time. Yeah, they or it could be they missed something they were supposed to see while they were there. Uh, yeah.
2: Again, we come back to the idea of trying to subscribe understandable emotions to a spider. It's it's not it, its brain isn't physically structured the same way ours do. How how can we communicate with it at all?
1: it's It's the same thing that we've talked about you know a hundred times already on the show when it when it comes to dealing with these entities. We continue to try and prescribe human emotion and human reaction to things that are innately not,
0: and that is just um not gonna work well and what's interesting there is. We know that the three of us know that we still do it. Yeah, it is is so hardwired into the human condition to look for those chains of logic and those around us. And I think that might be part of the reason for the ontological shock Mm experienced surrounding paranormal phenomenon is so much of it is so loony or goofy or just straight up strange. It's so hard to attribute a logic to it. Yeah, I mean,
1: where we grew up in a society that 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 believes that they are you know, walking the line of true logic and science and and all of this, that and the other thing. And then when it comes to these greater questions, you just you just can't you can't follow the same rules because those rules don't apply. And when you actually dive into the deeper levels of science and math and all of that, that's actually the same.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, we're just getting to the point that mainstream physicists are like, yeah, quantum physics is a real thing and we have to deal with it. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for the next section? Yes. Let's go. All right. Section two. Former NIDS investigator and the other co-author of this book, Dr. Colm Kelleher, was hired on as the project manager of Allset Bass and was the first full-time Bass employee. With only two years of funding at their disposal, Kelleher hit the ground running recruiting a team to fulfill the program objectives, beginning with retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Douglas Kurth. Kurth had previously been the commanding officer of the Red Devils, a Marine Corps F-A-18C fighter squadron, which had been part of the now legendary Nimitz Carrier Group, made famous by the Nimitz Tic Tac incident, which has since been widely reported across most mainstream media outlets, and hence, we're not going to repeat it here. Hearing Kurth's story from Kelleher, Lekatsky wasted no time in tapping intelligence operative Jonathan Axelrod, who had previously conducted investigations into similar events on behalf of the DIA. Axelrod began interviewing witnesses and conducted one of the first scientific reviews of the Tic Tac incident. Meanwhile, Lakatsky organized a dinner in Washington, D.C., which was, on the surface, an opportunity to dine with legendary General Paulo Roberto Yogg de Miranda Achawa. However, Its real purpose was to bring together the various elements of OSAP and other experts in the intelligence field who had an interest in UAP. In attendance was none other than Lou Elizondo, as well as Juliet Witt, a Pentagon operational test and evaluation analyst and a sensor expert at the Department of Defense. They spoke into the night about how best to tackle the UAP problem and the phenomenon in general when they discovered that among everyone there, most had already visited Skinwalker Ranch one who hadn't been Wit, and thus they arranged for her to visit. Now, by this point, Allsat Bass had already begun their investigation of the ranch, which we're going to discuss in later sections, so there was already staff on site when Witt arrived. Armed with night vision binoculars, thermographic imagers, and a suite of high-end camera and sensor equipment, Wit and company set out from Bigelow Corporate Headquarters in Vegas on a private flight to Utah, followed by a short car ride to the ranch itself. Joined by Kelleher and Bigelow, she began to survey the land, including a tour of Homestead 2, an abandoned home on the ranch which was known for intense, anomalous activity. They encountered no phenomenon that day, save for the unsettling discovery of a large quantity of dried deerskins and animal skulls hanging from stakes, which had been set along the property line of the neighboring land. That night, Bigelow, Kelleher, and Witt set out again for a nighttime survey. They were investigating near Homestead 2 again when Bigelow wandered a bit away from Kelleher and Witt. At that time, the pair suddenly noticed as a cone of silence seemed to descend around them. All insect noise and wind ceased, and more alarmingly, they spotted what appeared to be a creature silently making its way through the tall grass. Kelleher later described the creature as beaver-like, but with a series of dinosaur-like spines running along its back. They chased after the beast, but it had vanished. Wit, a career operative and undercover agent, was no stranger to danger, yet she was badly shaken by the sighting. That night, she refused to sleep without all the lights on and a member of ranch security sleeping on the couch outside her bedroom. They left the ranch the next day, though this was far from the end for Wit. In the weeks following her visit to the ranch, home in Virginia was inexplicably infested with a paranormal presence, causing poltergeist-like bangs in the night, phantom footsteps, shadow people, sightings of orbs of various colors flying through her home, and one terrifying encounter with a giant owl which viciously attacked her car as she tried to back out of the driveway. The activity became so severe that her roommate soon moved out. She, like most investigators who visited the ranch, had fallen victim to what became known as the hitchhiker phenomenon. Other victims include John Axelrod, who, along with Marine Jim Costigan and Marine sensor expert David Wilson, performed a walkthrough investigation of the ranch on behalf of OSAP. As they hiked across the property, they encountered a strange wall of cold, a spot in the path where, once crossed, the temperature seemed to drop 20 degrees. They edged forward into the cold zone and all soon found themselves in the grips of an odd anxiety. Career military men, one and all, none wanted to give voice to the strange feeling and pressed forward, only to find themselves gripped first with fear and then mortal terror. Yet there was no visible threat, at least not to the naked eye. They were about to push further when Costigan stopped the party through his night vision goggles. He could see an anomaly sitting across the path 50 yards ahead. It was described as an oval of darkness, about eight feet high, which radiated a menacing presence. All present felt, on some instinctual level, that to continue forward would be to embrace certain death. And so they retreated to safety. But as Wit also learned, whatever intelligence controls the ranch would not let them go so easily. Anomalous activity followed each man home. Within 10 days of his ranch visit, Axelrod called Kelleher to report his wife's sighting of shadow people in their bedroom, poltergeist activity, orbs attacking his son, and his wife's sighting of a strange bipedal wolf creature staring at her from the backyard, a creature which, three days later, both of Axelrod's sons also spotted. When Axelrod investigated the area where the creature had been, he found several trees had been marked with deep, jagged cuts, akin to claw marks. However, one should not assume that the hitchhiker phenomenon is unique to Skinwalker Ranch, as ASAP's rapid response investigation teams soon discovered. In July 2009, they investigated a series of UFO sightings on the property of the Scarsdale family in Lagole, California. The incident not only included the sighting of technological craft and floating orbs, but the apparent sighting of a craft opening and then passing through a hole in the sky, akin to a wormhole. Osap investigated, witnessed several craft-like objects in the sky which were only visible through night vision goggles, and suffered several bizarre technical difficulties, including a camera which was somehow switched to display mode mid-filming, despite the switch being secured inside the camera housing and under watch the entire time. Like those who visited the ranch, the Scarsdale family soon found themselves suffering poltergeist-like events inside their home, which persisted until the end of the month. In addition, OSAP soon found that another phenomenon often seen on the ranch, disembodied blue orbs which seemed to move with clear agency and control, was much more widespread than anyone had assumed. And worse, they seemed to be a direct threat to human life, as shown in the story of Rob Becker, a 48-year-old biotechnologist living in Oregon. He and his daughter were driving 50 miles southeast of Bend on an otherwise empty road when Becker's daughter noticed movement in a nearby field. To her amazement, she saw what she described as three softball-sized blue orbs dancing around each other, as if playing. No sooner had she noticed them than they seemed to notice her, instantly changing their trajectory and zipping directly at the car. She watched in horror as one orb passed right through the car door and then onward through her father, entering his upper left arm and exiting near his opposite shoulder. While Rob did not see the orb enter, he did experience an intense feeling of mental haziness, the sense of something moving through him, and he did see the orb as it flew away from the car. Rob soon felt ill and suffered bizarre dreams that night. Over the next few days, his illness intensified. His hair began to fall out, a rash spread on his face, and his ankles began to swell. He also began gaining weight, which resisted both dieting and the work of a professional trainer. For the next two years, he saw doctor after doctor until he finally received a diagnosis, a rare cancer known as ductal carcinoma in situ, which was corrected via surgery. Analysis of his medical records, white blood cell counts, and the nature of the illness led all SAP investigators to a single unsettling conclusion. Everything Rob had experienced was in line with having been exposed to intense ionizing radiation. His daughter did not come away unscathed either, falling victim to the hitchhiker phenomenon herself as shadow people soon came to plague both her and her roommates for the next two years. The orbs also came for Jim Costigan after his visit to the ranch when, while out for a walk with his wife Layla, both spotted a blue orb approach them and zip past, grazing Layla's shoulder. Soon after, she developed flu-like symptoms and was later diagnosed with a rare autoimmune illness known as Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Axelrod's wife also soon came down with flare-ups of lupus and Raynaud's disease, both autoimmune illnesses. It was these experiences, and the hitchhiker phenomenon experienced by researchers like Eric Davis, Lekatsky, Kelleher, and even Bigelow himself, which led to the development of the infectious agent model. While lacking enough cases to create a true contagion map, they theorized that exposure to the anomalous was somehow infectious, often jumping to people who had never had any experiences with the ranch or other anomalous activity. This infection seemed to target the families and friends of experiencers and often came with health consequences for those affected. Most notable being the sudden development of autoimmune diseases, including those described earlier, as well as Graves' disease, Sjogren's syndrome, and rheumatoid arthritis in individuals who showed no sign of any of these illnesses prior to encountering someone who had previously had an experience. And almost as concerning, the phenomenon did not seem to have an expiration date. While some, like the Scarsdale family, only suffered anomalous phenomenon for a short time, some investigators found their hitchhikers had no intention of leaving them be. Even 12 years after his visit to the ranch, Axelrod and his family have continued to report anomalous events in their home. As Bigelow is quoted as saying, quote, Everybody took things home with them. I took things to my house. Things happened to my wife and to me in different places. So everybody took things home. But we didn't know that, gee, it was going to be kind of permanent. We didn't know that it was going to stay with you for maybe years and years or the rest of your life. Who knows? Which brings us to our second discussion question. So in my personal opinion, the hitchhiker phenomenon is one of the scariest things that we've read about on this show so far. Due in part to the perceived maliciousness of the phenomenon reported. Orbs causing illnesses, families menaced by shadow people, dogman sightings, owl attacks, etc. Why do you think these phenomenons seem more aggressive than those we have heard reported in other cases? And do you have any theories about what the hitchhiker phenomenon really is?
2: Um, if I had to, if I had to hypothesize. You do. If I had to <laughs> hypothesize, I would guess that and this is not to justify the actions of if if this is a conscious agent doing these terrible things to these people. This is not to justify this action, these these actions. Um, but if if someone if something is acting aggressive or malicious, it, it usually has a reason for it. And I'm just thinking of of the native people in Utah being like uh, about the area that became Skinwalker Ranch, going like, I mean, it's not against the law to go there, but you really shouldn't go there.
0: Yeah, they they called they said it was in the path of the Skinwalker.
2: Yep, and I'm just wondering if this is just kind of. Maybe not necessarily a side effect, but if it's some kind of alarm system and the more aggressive and more lingering it is, the more deliberately it's trying to get its point across of you don't belong here. This space isn't for you. And if you keep wandering in here and picking up rocks and digging in the ground and sticking your stupid little cameras on everything, I'm going to give you cancer.
0: Yeah. So what I guess in that framework... Why follow them home and haunt them for decades? Punishment. Oh, yeah. So just straight up, uh, not divine punishment. Liminal punishment?
2: Metaphysical punishment.
0: Yeah, okay, I can go with that. Metaphysical punishment.
2: Or the other thing I was wondering is like, hey, maybe they're maybe they're succubi or psychic vampires or whatever. And it literally just feeds off of the pain and misery of embodied creatures.
0: Maybe. Which terrifying if true what about you rory this is a tough question yeah
1: i even you know
0: in in preparation for this
1: i I wrote like i don't know like two or three paragraphs uh while i was at work today completely forgot to email it to myself (laughs) so we're just going off memory here which is not great for any of us but like all right so why do I think this phenomenon seems more aggressive than those that we've heard reported in other cases? I don't know. It's it's weird. It's very it's it's odd. Uh especially with the orbs
0: bit. I, I Yeah, I I I've read about orbs in tons of ghost stories, but I've never heard about them attacking someone. No,
1: that 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 part it it really it honestly it it really spooked me. Uh because I've seen orbs yeah,
2: you
1: me know, too. Uh, I Oh uh, uh, You know, this is funny because this is just a memory that literally just came back to me. But you remember, we, we you and I used to walk in the woods at night all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woods right by you at the house that you grew up in. Yeah. There were several times when we would walk through there and see orbs.
0: Yeah, we used to joke they were will-o'-the-wisps.
1: Yeah. Um, and, I, and some of them were blue orbs. Mm-hmm. If these are the same thing... Why weren't we attacked?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a good question, I mean, especially because if you look at like Rob Becker, he had never been to the ranch. He, that was a completely unrelated individual who, while out on the road, was given cancer by an orb. That's and, that's honest,
1: and that's honestly, that's the one that, that honestly kind of spooked me the most. Like it literally, it's like been living in my brain rent free since I finished this book. That specific uh, incident, like he was just driving mm-hmm. and then got fucking cancer. Now, part of me tried to write it off and go, well, what if it wasn't the orb giving the cancer, but um warning him that there was that this was happening? It's like, okay, that's nice. That sounds great, except for the fact that they that that the NIDS investigators bring up the great point of it is the exact same reaction as if he was, you know, given a full on blast of ionized
0: radiation. And then I went, well, um, Fuck. Well, and the really spooky thing there um, is that, as far as I can tell, he had all the effects of ionizing radiation, but he didn't. They when like you know pass a Geiger counter, he was not radioactive. Right. There was no sign of the radiation which did it, but all the symptoms of having been exposed to radiation. Yeah.
1: I I I, I honestly, I I don't I don't know, and I I can't think of any reason why it would be more aggressive there in comparison to others. However, I wonder if the Utah area, uh, the basin, what's it called?
0: Yeah, the Uinta Basin.
1: The Uinta Basin is a thin spot for whatever, however this phenomenon can travel back and forth, be it different parallel realities, be it what whatever. It, that maybe this area is a thin spot for whatever this phenomenon is so because of that they can come through more direct
0: okay so maybe it's the the uenta basin's a thin spot and those who visit it kind to take some of that thin residue with them
1: right and because they're able to come out and be more um more i don't know i I want to say like manifested more fully in that area that they're able to follow people home and do things like that. And maybe that's why when we saw orbs, they couldn't react to us that same way because that wasn't a thin spot or they weren't able to come out that, you know, be as active in that area versus uh, in Utah. And, I've, and like, honestly, it feels like I'm stretching like by thinking like that, but I, I'm trying to like rationalize it in my head in any way because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to so much of the other, uh, like the experiences that i've had with with uh with orbs or any you know, or have read about in other books
0: right and you know, say so what's interesting i mean it's an interesting idea um and it does have one very unsettling conclusion kind of as part of it is that if these they're more aggressive because they can more now those entities from which can now more directly interact with these people that is to imply whatever that other world is the liminal world the spirit world innately wants to hurt us they're like the only reason they're not is they can't
1: and uh yes yes that that is that is that implication and i thought
0: about that can you imagine if we're the nerds of the universe like everything just wants to shove us in our locker
1: (laughs) i mean i can't imagine that a little bit And (laughs) being a nerd myself uh and understanding how the world looked at us for a long time yeah uh and we're just that's just really changing now
2: I used to put myself in my locker to save everyone time.
0: There was a, there was a rumor at my high school that I was going to be a school shooter and it was largely because I liked reading scary stories. That's hilarious because
1: you even then were like I mean like we, we were teenagers so we we all have our problems but you were um full of this weird optimism
0: even then. Yeah, it had yet to be crushed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: my one of my wild theories about the the orbs personally is what if those are microcraft what if those are being piloted by things that are possibly too small for us to even see and maybe they didn't mean to pass through Rob maybe they were crashing <laughs> and they just like went straight through them and they're like oh god how much radiation do we just blast that guy with not our problem not our problem
0: okay so Jay every time you make the argument that paranormal phenomenon that UFOs are all piloted by like idiots <laughs> drunk and children idiots. and yeah. drunks, <laughs> like I, I like the idea more every time for yeah. all the wrong reasons like i i absolutely do not think that's the case because i can't live in that reality but i I, at the same time i don't have a better answer for some of the batshit bad driving we see what's that
2: thing you're always saying to me of never assume malice when you can assume stupidity of like that's
0: true
1: that's that's a good quote I like that. Never, never assume malice when you can assume,
0: when you can, uh, what was it? You can assume Assume stupidity. Now do not, do not attribute that to me. I know I stole it from somewhere. I just don't know where. Yeah. Yeah, I just,
1: I just like that. It's, it's cool. Uh, cool words.
0: Um, I'm glad that my two degrees mean I can pull some cool words out. Hey, you got two degrees in word stuff. So, (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think me now back to the question. I think me personally, the only other idea I came up with is Rory. I actually I hadn't thought about that one. That's interesting. Um, Who? Sorry, I'm proud of myself. I thought of something it, you didn't. Well, you're is, very clever, babe. <laughs> is what if uh you know it's very similar to what you were saying though, uh in the sense that ex like we were saying earlier, exposure to the anomalous reaching for it opens you to that world. Yeah. Um. And what if it's just that whatever portal or entryway or world is co-located with Skinwalker Ranch? What if that's just a dark place mm-hmm. like th- yeah. that? That specifically, though, the the frequencies of reality that can be accessed there and things that can come out of there are typically of a negative bent. What if that's just the nature of the area? It's been known as cursed land for thousands of years by the local Ute, uh, Ute tribe. That's a that's a really good point. And so maybe I mean yeah. it could be a combination of both. Yeah. So maybe they got the people who visit the ranch have their minds opened. They carry that openness or that that spirit residue. They bring spirit herpes back <laughs> and they give it to those around them. And then those the uh entities from the other side can more easily are from specifically those levels of reality, can more easily mess with the people who got the herpes. I wonder. Now We have no way of testing this, of course. Of course.
1: But I wonder if that correlates to other aspects of the phenomenon, because there's so many different things that that did interact with, um, like after their uh, their excursions on the ranch, you know, uh, dogmen, uh, shadow people, orbs, poltergeist activity. I wonder if by having that interaction you become more easily susceptible to things like um talking with ghosts more uh maybe you could become more easy to ride like be like uh doing like trance mediumship maybe and i i'm curious because it's like those people like who had no experiences before and then started experiencing all of these things uh i wonder if those people that, like, it was like a forced unlock in their consciousness a little bit. And therefore, they would have, they would be able to do all these other things now, which then shows even more if that was the case of the interconnectivity of all of this.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, just thinking through that, I mean, I think the way that you test that, we would need access to a whole bunch of people w- that went to the ranch or go to the ranch yourself. Oh, and then we'd run all the old parapsychology ESP tests on right. them. Like, what symbol is on this card? I, I, and you know, that's something I've kind of found fascinating about
1: uh, everything that they did with Skinwalker Ranch. They never once did a normal, like what I would consider a normal paranormal investigation. They approached it strictly scientifically.
0: Well, because there was no paranormal investigators there, there were a lot of scientists.
1: Yeah, no, I know. And, I, but I would be, I'd be so curious if they let, like, paranormal investigators go on there and see the different, like the types of interactions that they would have versus the scientists. The problem being is that I, I don't think they'd ever let that because they'd think that that would muddy the waters of it. And I
0: think that's bullshit. Well, especially because the big thing, biggest thing that I think, well, here's the thing. I don't know if Nids or Awesome, it wasn't covered in the book, ever tried to do, you know, the the classic paranormal investigator thing. You sit in a dark room and you talk to the air. You try to coax the thing out. I don't know if they ever talked to it. I, I didn't come across that in the book. um, And it, I'd be curious to see if it maybe it would have responded if someone over de- night after night for weeks, was doing that. Was sitting there and going, "I want to talk to you."
2: They they did they did one time that one person went into the the homestead and, and sent some- shouted
0: at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah which it- we're gonna. I have that in here. We're gonna get there.
1: But before we move on, because I have this thought now. Okay, and I wonder if that's part of why it's so aggressive. Because remember, think about some of the things that we've uh, that we've read and people that we've talked to or lectures we've listened to. Thinking about John Tenney. Thinking about the Newkirk's. Right. Okay? Curiosity over fear. That's the Newkirk slogan, right? Right. How many things have... I mean, I know at least for me, because I'm a member of the museum, I've watched them turn something that was innately negative into something positive only because they treated it with respect. And I'm not saying that the investigators here weren't treating it with respect. They were just treating it as a scientific unknown, which to the entities might be disrespectful, Right. So right. if they went in and started trying to have conversations with these things, trying to understand what it wants versus just trying to understand what it is, then maybe they could actually come to a conclusion or a direction on how to actually access that information.
0: Well, and if we go back to that idea that the phenomenon might be a mirror, I mean, Lukatsky started this because he wanted to see if this could be a threat, if this was an ish, a national security risk. Right. What if, you know, it's, well, we're here to find a threat. Well, I'm going to give you one. So they found a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'd have to, you'd have, you'd have to do a whole lot of experiments with different groups of people of different intents going to the ranch. You know
1: what I would like?
0: I think if George
1: Knapp or a- anybody else that's been involved listens to this episode of the show, uh, we would like to talk to you specifically about these ideas because I'm curious.
0: I, at this point, we need Brandon Fugel. Yeah. That's a good point. George Knapp would not or Bigelow would not have any power not about not that.
1: have access, but we could have a conversation because they've had a lot of uh, experience on the ranch. That's True.
2: No, no, that's fair. And if you don't want to let a paranormal investigator do it, let the Dalai Lama take point on the investigations into Skinwalker Ranch, <laughs>
1: you know, or a priest like I honestly wouldn't care as long as there was. As long as there was some kind of, uh, I don't want to say mystic, but some kind of uh, more occulty nature brought to it, because I think that might be the direction that they're missing.
0: I'd say we could just go and do it, but one, I'm not going to jail, and two, I'm not bringing anything back to this house. I mean, I would like
1: to go to Skinwalker Ranch personally, but that's because I have this curiosity inside me that burns. It burns me.
0: Section three. By May of 2009, OSAP was beginning to show results, frequently sending reports to the DIA on their progress, which were over 100 pages in length. Fearing that the program's growing profile would soon draw derision from anti-UFO elements within the Department of Defense, Senator Reid set out to have OSAP classified as a special access program, a special designation which indicated that a project was in the black, freeing it from some oversight and guarding it against an abrupt cancellation. Towards that end, he penned a letter to then Deputy Secretary of Defense William Lynn. This was the letter we mentioned earlier where the ATIP nickname was first used, which down the road would lead to the confusion regarding which program received the $22 million in funding. Now, protocol dictated that the letter be delivered by hand to the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Legislative Affairs before it would be passed to Lynn. However, somehow, during that time, the letter was photocopied and widely distributed within the Pentagon and DIA. This had the unfortunate side effect of killing any hope of getting the program classified as a SAP and dragging OSAP into the light where they were fully exposed to the incredulity and scientific conservatism of Pentagon brass. This small bump in the road soon grew into a very real roadblock for the OSAP team, when they reached out to the Air Force Office of Special Investigations Special Projects Division, a.k.a. a Fosse pj or just a FOSSE. This was a division of the Air Force responsible for program security inspections, investigations, and counterintelligence operations related to the security of Air Force special access programs. The OSAP team hoped to be able to gain access to a FOSI files for the purposes of identifying any previous UFO sightings, which were, in fact, experimental U.S. aircraft. This was due in part to the sightings of massive black triangle UFOs, which have been reported across the country for decades and which some believe are experimental U.S. craft. OSAP considered it a priority to identify if these triangles belonged in the U.S. arsenal or not, due in part to their investigation of a triangle spotted by a 49-year-old man named Derek Jones, who saw the craft and four smaller drone-like craft hovering over his home in North Georgia. Jones described the craft as over 300 feet in length and that its underside was covered in false stars, perhaps as a type of camouflage. Jones shined a powerful flashlight at the craft, which responded by firing a bluish beam of light at him that created a burning sensation upon contact. In the days following, he was visited by classic men in black type agents who aggressively interrogated him, then demanded he never speak of his sighting again. Soon after, Jones began to lose hair and developed numerous dense lumps on his head, legs, groin, and back. Eventually, he was diagnosed with non-malignant lymphoma, the worst case the attending physician had ever seen. Kelleher, Lekatsky, and Bass Director of Investigations Larry Grossman met with the afossi Director of Operations, Jack Angelo, who, after the briefing, informed the OSAP team that he would do what he could, but that until OSAP had a SAP designation, there was likely little afossi would be able to share. However, that is not to say that OSAP was totally hamstrung. In fact, as far as government programs go, OSAP was shockingly successful in addressing its program objectives. During its two-year existence, OSAP filed comprehensive reports of the DIA, created a collaborative relationship with the civilian research organization MUFON, and conducted the first scientific review of the data from the Nimitz Tic Tac encounter. They translated hundreds of documents from the former Soviet Union's clandestine UAP program, Thread 3, investigated UFO incidents in Brazil and worked with Brazilian authorities to gain access to the country's UFO files, and they investigated historical cases, such as the UAP incursions over the northern tiered nuclear missile bases in the 1970s. They created a prototype for an automated anomalous sky surveillance program capable of capturing and analyzing UAP data. They founded a pilot remote viewing program and, through their project physics endeavor, created a repository of scientific papers from the world's top experts in aerospace technologies, which hypothesized on what the next generation of tech may include. Finally, in what many consider to be their greatest accomplishment, the OSAP team synthesized 11 different databases of UAP information into a powerful databank based around a six-layer analytic model developed by Jacques Vallée. Though, we'll pause there for now, because that actually brings us to our third discussion question. So during their conversations with a FOSSE, it was indicated to the OSAP team that some, but not all UAP sightings were in fact sightings of experimental U.S. aircraft. If this is true, do any incidents that we have read about spring to mind as a potential sighting of terrestrial supercraft? And if it's not true, why would a FOSSE lie about this?
1: So the black triangles are probably the most likely Um, because we, I mean, we know that we have ships that match a similar description in our arsenal right now.
0: Yeah, just not the same size.
1: Right. That's not to say that there aren't ones that we were uh, testing prior to the release of the stealth bombers and things like that, um, that we didn't want people to know about for obvious reasons because they're supposed to be stealth craft. Um, and one of the things that makes me think that is the sighting that you talked about in the summary, where at the end the gentleman had the lymphoma mm-hmm. um if I'm remembering correctly, that is the same- like the day after he saw the triangle uh and he saw helicopters going over the same area, yeah, and then he was talked to by men in black, essentially, yeah. And that's what makes me think that one might be more potentially Air
0: Force, which I think Allsap came to a similar conclusion. That's why they reached out to a Fosse.
1: Yeah, and uh, and that's and and that's just because we know that you know we know that the there are I mean there are multiple aspects to the MIB phenomenon in in and of itself, but we know that the CIA did try to. I don't know for a fact if it was the CIA or the FBI or whatever agency but one government agency definitely was trying to squash UFOs and by you know by intimidating people and telling them not to do it. We know that that happened. Yeah. Um so that because of because of that that makes me think that that one uh was potentially a uh was the Air Force. Also the one sighting that they talked about in the book uh where it was saw between three different cities police force because it kept traveling like over another
0: black triangle sighting
1: so i think that and i think that one uh, again another possibility of a likely air force and i think that that just lines up in my brain because again we know that we have craft that looks like that that wasn't really unveiled at this time
0: yeah i think the one thing i would wonder though is do the craft we have now mimic the movement and silence of of UAP? Because and that's the big thing: is these giant three hundred foot long black triangles are always supposedly silent.
1: Right. I mean, that's the point of these these
0: bombers: is they're supposed to be silent. Well, I didn't know they were actually physically silent. I thought they're they were just radar like silent. yeah, radar yeah. silent, not yes. physically silent.
1: Correct. But we're also, I mean, and and I I don't know. I've never seen one. I've never I've never seen one fly. Um, I, yeah. I know that their term of stealth is because it's radar silent and how it flies and the, you know, the, the at what um, altitude and whatnot, yada, yada, yada. Uh, as we learned during uh, Flying Saucers over the White House, I don't care much about airplanes.
0: <laughs> that was the wrong book you picked then. Yeah.
1: But that's okay. It was, it was still an interesting read. Anyway. So I think in conclusion, uh, I think that the black triangles are very likely not. I I don't want to say all of them because there are aspects of it that I can't that I can't explain or speak to, like the the silence. But then that could also be just a misunderstanding from the person who was witnessing it. He thought that he was hearing, like he thought it was silent, but it could have been just so large and so far away that he couldn't hear anything. I'm,
0: that's that's a fair point.
1: You know, uh, without having the video evidence which conveniently we couldn't have because his camera kept dying which also could have been a rea- something that, that 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 plane had innately in it is some way of of shutting down anything that tries to record it yep. how i i don't know science yeah i that that's not my area of expertise uh what you know so but that that seems the most logical to me
0: okay
2: um i i basically completely agree with Rory that if any of these sightings are secret government aircraft, it's almost definitely the Black Triangles just because and the the descriptions don't match in my head anymore just because I've read them more closely. But the first couple of times the Black Triangles got described to me, I wrote them off because I'm like, that's that's a Blackbird stealth bomber. Like, right. I've seen those in person. Like, I know what that is. Well,
0: and there's lots and lots of people who think that's all black triangles are. Yeah. Um. Of course, when you again, when you look at it closely, there are some distinct differences, especially because the black triangles tend to be pretty slow. They slowly glide over large areas. And
2: uh, and uh, blackbirds are not are not only incredibly quick. They're actually quite small for bombers. They're, yeah, no,
1: they're 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 very small. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. But as for the as for the the, the, pati- the particular sighting with the, the so 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 I just so I could say something beyond just staunchly agreeing with my spouse, <laughs> I my wackadoo wild hypothesis that is based in very little evidence about the sighting with the false stars on the bottom in particular where all the helicopters show up. Some people described it's like, yeah, and before the Black Triangle went away, we saw a swirly vortex over it and it vanished. I think that was a secret government plane. I think aliens took it. I think Uh, they don't know where it went. And that's why they were scouring all over with helicopters and then showing up and screaming at people to not talk about what they saw because they don't want to admit that Martians took their $10 billion plane. Yeah,
0: I mean, that that, God, that would suck. Like we we we, yeah, we can reverse engineer the craft, but it's no point. The moment it gets in the air, the aliens abduct the craft. No, I actually and I I do agree with you guys. I think probably the black triangles are the most likely. And one thing I was thinking about is, okay, so we all have supercomputers in our pockets now. Yeah, I mean, not true supercomputers, but we have very, very powerful little computers in our pockets now. And you go back even to like, no, say 1960, 1950s, 1960s a computer of the the same computational strength as our cell phone didn't exist, period. Yep. Uh, And if it would, it would have to fill, if it did, it would have to fill warehouses of those old real tape machines, right? Technology, especially when we're just getting a handle on it, tends to start big and then get smaller. And all all I could think is, well, these black triangles are huge. They are 300 feet across. And supposedly the one that flew over Phoenix during the Phoenix lights, Lights incident was about similar size, if not bigger. So what if that is the product of reverse engineering? It is, you know, yeah, we can make a UFO, but we need to put a nuclear reactor into into it. And once you have to put something that large into it, all the other systems need to scale up in order to accommodate. And so you end up with these massive unwieldy craft that don't move very fast, but they they move around silently. And apparently they have directed energy cancer beams, (laughs) which, though, I got to say, if the black triangle incident that all sap investigated here was a secret us aircraft. I really want it would v- want to be a fly on the wall during the debriefing with whatever pilot saw a guy shine a flashlight at them and decided to give him cancer. Yeah. Like, no, like I, I know I, 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 uh, I agree. <laughs> like really, that's the part I can't get past is regardless of if it was an alien in the craft or a uh, extra dimensional trickster, God, or, lieutenant jimmy i i can't get past why they hit the fire button because a dude shined a light at them unless it was we're aliens all of our weapons are directed energy and we see someone aiming a powerful light at us we
2: assume it's an attack but or maybe they didn't know it was going to give us cancer they're like oh no that's supposed to knock you down (laughs) oh no no, it didn't knock him down oh no oh no fly away fly away now i think we just killed that guy oh
0: look at that little human he's so cute hit him with the tickle ray why is he screaming And now i'm just amused by the idea of a tickle ray all right it's moving into section four As for Skinwalker Ranch itself, the OSAP team, like the NIDS team before them, endeavored to conduct a wide-ranging scientific investigation of the oddities that had been reported for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years in the Uinta Basin area. After an initial security assessment of the ranch and the establishment of an enhanced security program, OSAP dispatched a team of six investigators, three scientists, and two technicians to the ranch to conduct their investigation. Based out of the Double Wide Trailer Command Center, they first conducted interviews with over 30 individuals who had experienced anomalous activity either at or near the ranch, with the vast majority of witnesses being lifelong residents of the basin. These included interviews with 12 ranchers, 11 Ute tribe members, a Ute shaman, six local business owners, four police officers, the director of a nearby fish and wildlife office, and presumably a partridge in a pear tree. Through those interviews, they heard many stories of strange bipedal wolf-like creatures, flying orbs, technological craft in the sky, and more. Though, they wouldn't have to wait long to experience these events for themselves firsthand. In the two years OSAP researched the ranch, their team recorded over 200 anomalous events, including, but not limited to, sensed or perceived presences, perceptions of being watched, direct observations of paranormal events, episodes of an inexplicable emotional duress, and observations of UAP in the skies above. As an example, quote, bass investigators photographed some anomalous tracks, including two sets of barefoot human tracks merging into one, and a second set of barefoot tracks in the snow that approached a five-foot-tall barbed wire fence and continued in the snow after the fence with no evidence of a broken stride and no evidence of either climbing the barbed wire fence or jumping over the wire. During their time there, they also undertook a number of experiments, some repeats of older NIDS experiments, and others new, leveraging state-of-the-art technology. These included a complete environmental mapping of the property, which discovered several anomalous electromagnetic readings which seemed to appear and disappear without any discernible mechanism to allow for such things. In addition, they did experiments in how the ranch may be impacting seed germination, finding that plants grown from seeds grew much faster on the ranch than they did elsewhere, and much slower when transplanted to the ranch's saplings. Findings which were in agreement with other experiments studying the effect of electromagnetic fields on plant growth. Though, perhaps the most interesting experiment was the communication efforts, which sought to identify if the phenomenon of the ranch could be associated with a group of, or singular, intelligence. Towards that end, they conducted numerous experiments in which a game or puzzle was set up and left inside a locked room, and then the keys, taken to the Las Vegas facility, ensuring none on site could access the testing area. After a set time, the keys were returned and the room opened, often to find that the pieces of the test gamer puzzle had clearly been moved and arranged in strange patterns, indicating the presence of another intelligence on the ranch. However, the most startling discovery they made was that whatever force controls the ranch seems to have the ability to not only know of events which occur far beyond its borders, but can actively react to them over vast distances. A discovery which is best shown in a 2011 event after the DIA closed down OSAP at the end of its two-year and three-month contract, citing concerns that the program would bring ridicule upon the DIA if allowed to continue. Seeking to find a new home for the program, Lakatsky was shopping it around at the Department of Homeland Security. He met with two top DHS officials, Jim Bell and Sacha Mover, and briefed them on OSAP's work. With little restraint, he told them of the orbs, the paranormal activity they had recorded, and the details of the terrifying hitchhiker phenomenon. Revelations which reportedly caused both Bell and Mover to lose considerable sleep that night. But, it seems they were not the only ones stirred up by Lakatsky's brazen transparency regarding the ranch and its phenomenon within two hours of the briefing. two bizarre events occurred on opposite sides of the country the next morning, only sixty miles away from DHS headquarters in the home of the Axelrod family, their youngest son Paul was found in bed with red puffy eyes and welts on his cheeks. He was also found to have contusions on his belly and chest as if he'd been beaten. A bass-contracted physician examined him and learned that Paul had been woken in the night by orbs of blue and red light, two each flying around his room. The orbs repeatedly dove at him, lightly skimming his skin. He hid under the covers as a deep soreness sank into his body, and he found himself unable to scream. The attack went on for the rest of the night, during which Paul also witnessed three shadow people appear in his bedroom, telepathically screaming in his mind as if they were being tortured. On that same night, at the exact same time that Paul's encounter began, something happened at Homestead 2 on Skinwalker Ranch. Security officer Philip Idiohorst was out for his regular 10 p.m. patrol when he approached Homestead 2. He soon felt watched, and the hairs on his neck stood up. As he entered the home itself, a sudden terror seized him. Following his intuition, he shined his flashlight around the home and then mentally commanded that the presence show itself. In response, his flashlight began to turn off and on at regular intervals. When the blinking stopped, he repeated the command and the flashlight again began to flash on and off. Then, again following his intuition, he fled, possessed by a sudden and powerful surge of adrenaline. Upon returning to the command center, he reported having a terrible headache, and the next morning felt sore as if he'd been physically beaten. As Kelleher realized, Phillips' encounter may represent the first documented, truly interactive communication made with and by the ranch's anomalous intelligence. This led the team to wonder if these anomalies were somehow in direct response to Lekatsky's briefing at DHS. I'm just saying, but the, la- the flashlight thing is a paranormal investigation tool. Absolutely. So that brings us to our fourth discussion question. Hey, let's talk about the ranch. Based off of what we've seen in this book, the numerous documentaries we've watched, The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch television show, do you think the activity on the ranch can be ascribed to a singular intelligence, as has been suggested by some researchers? And do you have any theories as to what that intelligence may be or what it wants? So again, this is where we come back to, does it have agency?
2: Um, I don't think there's a singular intelligence and I don't think there's a singular agent on Skinwalker Ranch. I I think Skinwalker Ranch might be some sort of psychic sinkhole that's just pulling a lot of things into it. See I I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering if Skinwalker Ranch is just a place, you know, we we talked about if it's just a dark place of Maybe it's just it's just a pain it's just a place of pain. It's just a place of anger and confusion of it's these it's these broken fractal agents of the phenomenon getting sucked down this shower drain of bullshit and that it's it's like you know if you approach an injured dog it's going to start biting just because it's in pain and it's confused and it's entirely possible that the things at skinwalker ranch don't want anything that there's just it, it that the things that come near them just get caught up in their vortex of i am in agony i have been in agony for 10,000 years all i know is agony
0: And actually, if that's true, that might make the hitchhiker phenomenon make more sense. You have these tortured, damaged creatures that were sucked into whatever the ranch is. And then when they saw a chance to get out, they took it, but they're still broken. So they're causing all kinds of chaos wherever they end up.
1: Personally, this makes me believe that they need to actually communicate and interact with the phenomenon as if it is an intelligence, you know, more so, send just send
0: a team of social workers.
1: No, like for real.
0: I I mean it. I'm not joking. Send a team of social workers and psychiatrists, and tell them you are here to treat the ranch.
1: Because like, the more that like I think about it, the more I'm convinced that like yes, there there is some kind of intelligence. Like Jay said, I don't think it is a singular intelligence. I, you know, I I said thin spot. You know, uh Jay said sinkhole. Sinkhole, and ultimately I think we're saying the same thing. You know, there is uh something very obviously happening at this ranch. And everybody that is and currently uh investigating it, you know, the the two different billionaires that have owned it and investigated the the ranch are doing it from a strictly scientific perspective, which I like. You know, I'm not gonna say I don't like that but ultimately if what we're saying if what we're seeing is true and that there is an intelligence here which i believe there is at at this point i think i can i can say that pretty confidently that the phenomenon has is, is an intelligence no matter how you slice it right that there
0: there is more than basic non-thinking a functioning at play
1: right so and and just po- poking it and prodding it it's like we're treating them like we we treat the aliens that 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 we think abduct us just prodding and poking us medically right we're doing the exact same thing right back at them and so of course they're mad you, you, like i'd be mad get get off my lawn yeah uh, so i i i i can't help but like wonder if if having a dot a, a, not I don't want to say dialogue because that would imply that you would have uh, you know a conversation back but having treating it with that kind of respect and going about it in a way where it's like we're not here to hurt you we're here to communicate and we're here to figure out what's going on so that we can help each other then maybe they'll get a different response or, or maybe the phenomenal start acting differently or it's just a bad area. Yeah. And and, you I, know, I, and, and <laughs> because that's the other side of it. It's like maybe because even even the Newkirks have said there are some things that just can't that that that, that can't necessarily be turned around in that in, in, in the same way, you know, and, and I respect the hell out of them. So if they say that that's possible, like obvious, like, of course, there are things that are just bad, you know. So, I mean, that's possible. But, to me, until you explore the idea that maybe this is just something that's reacting to our reaction and it's and it's responding to uh, our seeming aggressiveness to it, uh, until we approach it differently and try to do it with a more, I don't know, communicative, respectful nature. Not saying that they're not being respectful, but they're just poking and prodding like scientists, you know, um, that maybe... I mean, we can't know until the other side is also uh, attempted. Yeah,
2: because it's with the scientists at Skinwalker Ranch, if they're handling it wrong in that aspect, it's not even their fault. It's they're not coming from a paradigm of thinking that allows them to consider, does this place, does this area of the world have feelings? Does it have Of course, it wouldn't occur to them to seek consent to do experiments on the ranch. They don't understand that they 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 don't understand that there's a possibility they might be hurting it and that it might be responding with more hurt.
0: You know. okay. so I have two divergent theories in my brain regarding the you know, what agency should we attribute to the ranch itself? But I think you actually just gave me a third one, because what if. All right. So there's an idea in some uh, mystical traditions that certain places that have uh, just by their nature have a, a greater mystical resonance. Yes. Well, Something just like, like ley lines. Well, I'm talking beyond ley lines.
1: No, I know. I'm just saying as an
0: example. Yeah. Pl- places that are somehow alive. Uh, they've been called genus loci. Yeah. Uh, the spirit of the place. What if the intelligence of the ranch is the ranch in the sense that it is the spirit of that land of the rivers of the the rocks and it has it's just one of those places where the spirit of place can speak more fully now that said that is a very spiritual uh framework to look at it through very woo yeah very woo uh but you know it's an idea in my head now thanks Uh, Well, i think there's I, i
1: i think that that It very well could be in some form. Well, I mean, and
0: I could say I visited places that if if genus loci exist... I, I've seen some of them. Uh, an example would be uh, Garden of the Gods in uh, Colorado Springs. Mm. It is this beautiful uh, park of you know, these giant red rocky cliffs and you just walk through them. It's it's beautiful. It's amazing. And there's just something there I felt when I were walking through that kind of sense of you're in someone else's home, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I felt yeah. that at a couple places, usually uh, in nature, mm-hmm. usually, you know, natural areas that have been preserved. Um I've ever. No, I, actually, I can't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever felt it in a building or anything like that.
2: I am. I am staunchly convinced that there, it, that the the park behind my childhood home and the woods surrounding it has some sort of intelligence to it. Just because um, there was a certain age I got to where I had this instinctive understanding of it's not okay for me to be here at night anymore, and it was. I I had. I always felt safe in those woods at night when I was like a child. But when I got past like the age of 14, it was like a, a switch flipped and I got the very distinct impression of, oh, this isn't my space anymore and I need to leave after dark.
0: Well, uh, And, you know, Rory and I, I mean, the woods at the end of the street of my childhood home, mm-hmm. uh, we used to talk all the time about how after dark that place isn't ours. There's yeah. some there was there. We definitely had the clear sense that there was something in there. Yeah. Uh, especially because I don't know, there would be just be times where, you know, it'd be the three of us walking in there, but somehow the woods felt crowded. Yep. No. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's, it's not something logical. It's yeah. this, it's that feeling it's that of feeling, being, yeah, yeah. It's a feeling of being in a crowded room. You know, in
1: I think this is the first time that I've actually gotten to bring this up on the show. So that's exciting. But in my current studies into Druidry, um, one of the things that they talk about a lot is you know obviously the intelligence behind or the 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 feeling and the intelligence behind nature mm-hmm. which for druids yeah that makes sense yeah but something that i took took out from that is like every every tree every leaf every plant every everything every animal every insect has its purpose you know, and, and beyond just its purpose, it has its meaning. And the more that those things are gathered together, the more potent that that, that, that becomes. Uh-huh. So when you go into a place like you go into the Redwood Forest in California, I haven't been there, but I've I've read about it and I want to go so bad it hurts.
0: You yeah, know, we got to go squat hunting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but like there is like, there's this palpable feeling you get when you walk into the woods. I I know I've always felt it. I've always felt like when I walk into the woods specifically, um, there's just this feeling that that I get, like this connection to nature that I don't get anywhere else. And I I I wonder if that same kind of thing is happening at at Skinwalker Ranch. It's just negative because we've got thousands and thousands of years of fear. From the tribes, the tribes that lived there before, and now the people that are there now, because note a lot, almost every major emotion that that, that the security officers feel, the investigators feel, is some form of fear when they're interacting with the when, when they engage, or they see the phenomenon in any form. So, I, I wonder if that 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 emotional resonance of fear has just overtaken that area at this point.
0: You know, that makes me so before I get into my 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 two ideas regarding the actual question that does remind me one of the early stories from the ranch came from the family that moved into the ranch after it had been abandoned for several years. This was prior to the NIDS investigation. Um, and the very first encounter of anything anomalous they had was they had a couple calves in a pen near the house mm-hmm. when this giant wolf came lumbering out of the woods and basically walked up to the family and it was friendly, like the father pet it, pet this giant wolf. Uh, they were patting it and they were it was acting like a family dog. And then it walked over to the pen and tried to eat one of the calves. And so naturally they pulled their guns out and they were shooting at it. And that thing, I think it was like six shots from a magnum. Yeah. And then it wasn't until they pulled out a 30 odd eight and started shooting at it. The first shot staggered it. And but they couldn't see any blood. And then the second shot blew a chunk of fur off and then it it kind of it didn't run away. It didn't yelp. It walked away into the woods. They tried to chase it. They couldn't catch it. Um, But when they examined the meat that had been blown off by that last shot, they said it looked rotted somehow. So, you know, just creepy anomalous in, in nature. But the thing that that strikes me there is. What if that was the property going, are you going to not fear me? Yeah. Nope. You're going to react the same way everyone else did. Well, shit. Now I got to hunt you.
1: Well, and that that kind of is that's kind of the thing that I've been that I that I've been saying. It's like maybe it just wants
0: to not be investigated like this anymore. It's possible. You know, maybe the U-Tribe had the right idea. Stay the fuck out of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I mean, I, going back to the core question. I think I have, uh, in addition to the whole genus loci thing that we just ran down, um, <laughs> I, I have two other ideas. One is in the Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch television show. They've done some interesting experiments where they, they think that they've through telemetry found this spot either uh, that they think is above the ranch that where a lot of the uh, odd electromagnetic signals seem to be coming from. And so there's this theory that what if that is a portal or a, a wormhole? Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, things just come out and all the the events that happen there. The reason they're so diverse is because everything's coming through right there. Right. And some of them, hey, I want to go out and haunt a place. So I'm going to attach to you and follow you out. I could see that, mm-hmm. uh, especially if that portal was, like I said, to maybe some sort of more negative level of reality. Uh, the only thing I have against that is something I actually didn't have a chance to get into in the summary, which is uh OSAP's attempts to use remote viewing on the ranch. There was one reading in particular which uh seems to argue against what I just said, which is one guy in particular, he was not told what the he was not told that he was gonna be looking at Skinwalker Ranch. I think this was actually earlier than OSAP. I think this was in NIDS. Uh it was either in NIDS or as was part of the government program. I, I don't remember. Uh, I know what you're talking about. This is the
1: one with the map, right?
0: Well, yeah. So he remote viewed to the ranch and he said, well, there are these people there. He described the researchers on site and things like that. And he said, and there's one other person there. He I can't really see him too well. He's short. He's hairless. He can see the others, but they can't see him. So. Maybe there is some singular ancient God or something that has just retired to that land yeah. or some form of ex- of massive you know intelligence that is so far beyond us. We'll never understand it. And it is playing a game all its own. Maybe the things it does have nothing even to do with us. Maybe it's sending messages uh, to some other intelligence in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't. Really know what that level of reality looks like, you know, uh, if those if, you know, once you reach that level, if they interact with each other at all, if they have their own society and ways of talking to each other, maybe communicating through the things they do to us. I don't know.
2: Maybe the little man is simply how that that agent's remote viewing interpreted the intelligence of the ranch. That's
0: possible. All right. Are we ready to move to our last section? Yeah. Okay. Following Lekatsky's briefing at DHS, another meeting was scheduled, and Kelleher, Putoff, Lekatsky, and Black went back to meet with Jim Bell. However, this time, Bell seemed nervous, as they were soon to brief a powerful administrator within the Department of Homeland Security, the Undersecretary for Science and Technology, Tara O'Toole, under whose department an OSAP replacement program would fall if approved by DHS. While initially annoyed at having to spend some of her precious time meeting with the OSAP team, O'Toole was soon impressed by their work and scientific rigor. The half-hour meeting ran over an hour, and afterwards, O'Toole promised to look into the possibilities of creating a successor organization to OSAP. Following this meeting, Jim Bell and Sacha Mover set to work trying to figure out how much may already be known about UAP and paranormal phenomenon within the other U.S. intelligence agencies. Their inquiries were met with fiery rejection, two unnamed organizations in particular stonewalling them in their attempts to find the secret keepers in their midst. This convinced both Bell and Mover that exotic technologies and other evidence were sequestered away in private aerospace companies under government contract. In this, we must remember that DHS was a relative new kid on the block when it came to U.S. intelligence agencies, just a little under 10 years old. As such, many in the intelligence world balked at the idea of this fledgling agency trying to peek into the inner workings of one of the country's greatest and longest-kept secrets. Bell and Mover pressed on and managed to arrange several interdepartmental meetings, which further cemented in their minds that there was a massive secret at play here, which the DHS was being kept out of. Meanwhile, from June through December 2011, O'Toole continued to work with Bass on outlining a DHS version of the OSAP program, and by the end of that year, were ready to share their proposal with leadership for final approval. The decision would rest with four key individuals, the Deputy Secretary Jane Holute, the Undersecretary of Management, the DHS General Counsel, and the Undersecretary for Intelligence and Analysis, Phyllis Green. While most of these individuals were convinced by the proposal of a need for an OSAP-type program, it was Green who ended up being the cook that spoiled the soup. She argued that public discovery of the program's existence would damage the DHS's reputation, as she deemed it too fringe. Ultimately, she brought the others around, and the hopes of resurrecting SAP within the Department of Homeland Security were thwarted. From 2011 to 2016, Senator Harry Reid continued to try to get funding for an OSAP type program, but was ultimately unsuccessful. Reid eventually retired in 2016, ending hopes of a new and improved OSAP. As for the ranch, Bigelow sold the property to real estate billionaire Brandon Fugel, who went on to found his own scientific team to investigate the ranch, as shown in the television show Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. However, as the authors argue, This may be for the best, as the events which occurred in the post ossap era directly gave rise to the disclosure movement we see today. Soon after Reed's retirement, the reports of the Tic Tac and other encounters of anomalous craft by naval airmen were revealed to the public in the New York Times story by Leslie Keene, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helen Cooper. Keene, the primary investigator on the story, was tipped off by Lou Elizondo, who had been heading the Pentagon's ATIP program until he left, citing a lack of urgency or action on behalf of Pentagon brass in tackling the UAP issue. Drawing a line through history, the authors show how all this occurred only because of OSAP and NIDS before it. NIDS brought together some of the greatest scientific minds of an era to look at the UAP issue. And it was those same individuals who formed the backbone of OSAP and acted as primary consultants for ATIP. Then those same individuals assisted in the creation of the Pentagon UAP Task Force Report, also known as the UAPTF, that was issued by Congressional Demand in June 2021. While well, the report, as many of us know, disappointed many hopeful disclosure advocates in its failure to explore any non-prosaic sources for the craft, it still represented a watershed change in the language used by government sources when speaking about UAP. For the first time, there was an admission of a real physical phenomenon which may pose a threat to air traffic. As the authors write, quote, the seeds of this dramatic change were planted in the dusty desert soil of Las Vegas more than a quarter century ago. These seeds were germinated by OSAP 13 years ago, grew up into the UAPTF, and burst into colorful bloom in June 25, 2021, when the UAPTF was released. In the current day, still lost in the uncertainty of the government's new investigations into the nature of UAP, it is difficult to say what the long-term legacy of OSAP will be. However, the authors do suggest a number of accomplishments which, they believe, can be further leveraged by those who pick up the quest for truth. First and foremost being their work to tie UAP sightings and encounters with other paranormal phenomenon, broaching new and dangerous ground into the research of anomalous activity and giving voice to the psychic phenomenon reported for decades in experiencer literature. As Jeffrey Cripple, the J. Newton Razor Chair in Philosophy and Religious Thought at Rice University is quoted as saying, quote, The difficult truth is that the UFO phenomenon has both an objective, hard aspect, Think fighter jet videos, photographs, alleged metamaterials, apparent advanced propulsion methods and landing marks, and a subjective human aspect. Think close encounters, multiple and coordinated visual sightings, altered states of consciousness, visionary displays, often of a most baroque or sci-fi sort, and experienced traumatic or transcendent abductions. And both sides, both the material and mental dimensions, are incredibly important to get a sense of the full picture. Furthermore, ASAP were the first to scientifically investigate the impact anomalous encounters had on the human body, finding the disturbing correlations with radiation sickness, cancers, and autoimmune disorders. And even for those who escape encounters seemingly unscathed, their research revealed that the human immune system acts as a sort of record of anomalous encounters, with several key variables shifting in noticeably predictable patterns following an experience. This research has since been picked up and carried forward by private researchers the world over. And, in what some claim is ASAP's greatest accomplishment, they created the most comprehensive data warehouse of UAP data in known history. Developed with Jacques Vallée, the OSAP Bass database synthesized 11 different data banks, including the old NIDS database, a database of airline and military pilot encounters, the old data from Project Sign, Grudge, and Blue Book, the UFOcat database, the MUFON case management database, the Brazilian Project Caloris database, the Canadian government UAP release database, the United Kingdom UAP release database, a Skinwalker Ranch database, a database of all OSAP investigations, and an eyes-only database documenting the physiological effects on those who spent time at Skinwalker Ranch. Each record in the database was placed on an index of credibility and classified through a six-layer model which broke each case down to its base elements, which are the physical layer being the physical characteristics of the UAP event, the anti-physical layer being patterns that conflict with those predicted in modern physics, psychological layer being the psychological impact on witnesses, the physiological layer being the physiological impact on witnesses, the psychic layer, the effects more commonly associated with parapsychology, and the cultural layer, the primary and secondary impacts on society. Since the closing of OSAP, this database has since been reactivated and is in use by various government agencies who are now engaged in UAP research. In addition, it has since been enhanced with new analytical abilities and the incorporation of an AI interrogation functionality to automatically assess and analyze encounter data. In the conclusion of this book, the authors take a step back to look at ASAP's findings through the lens of Jacques Vallée's control hypothesis and suggest what the next step should be for whoever it is that picks up the torch lit by NIDS and carried by OSAP. As they describe, ASAP broke UFO history down into six distinct phases during which the behavior of the UAP craft and their occupants seemed to change, often with direct impacts on our culture, For example, they cite how encounters with Peace, Love, and Space Brothers, as was reported by Woodrow Derenberger and those like him, gave direct rise to the counterculture movement in the 1960s and 1970s, and how just as that movement was turning against nuclear weapons, so too did the UAP with their frequent visitations and disabling of U.S. nuclear missile bases. And what are the psychological changes reported in experiencers? What impact will their experience have on their behavior and, in turn, their society. Are these just the side effects of some cosmic game we are not players in? Or are they intentional efforts by some outside intelligence to communicate with and shape our society? As the authors argue, any investigation of UAP which does not include a study of consciousness and how consciousness is altered by anomalous experiences will only ever reveal a half picture. They end by calling on scientists and researchers to broaden their understanding of the UAP issue and to embrace consciousness as the real mystery sitting at the heart of the matter. As they write, quote, without having some consensus understanding of what constitutes human consciousness, collectively, we have no idea about just how profound the shakeup caused by these mysterious phenomenon has been on human consciousness or ultimately what their future impact on humans will be. Which brings us to our last discussion question. Yay! Since this book was published, the ball of UAP research has been slowly but steadily advanced. Recently, the Pentagon Spending Bill, FY22 NDAA, was passed along with an amendment known as the Gillibrand Amendment.
1: Gillibrand-Rubio.
0: Okay, the Gillibrand-Rubio amendment. I know
1: I hate Marco Rubio too.
0: Which required the Pentagon to not only create a permanent, fully funded office to investigate UAP, but also explicitly states that UAP's effects on human witnesses are to be included within the scope of the office. Do you think this new office will pick up the ball where OSAP left it? And do you think there's any chance of the government admitting interest in the paranormal events which seem to correlate strongly with the UAP phenomenon?
1: So, I'll give you my short answer first. Do I think this office will pick up the ball where OSEP left it? No. Um, do I think there's a chance the government admitting interest in the paranormal events, which seems to correlate strongly with UAP phenomenon? Huh. No. Okay. Um, I would. I that that is my that is like my gut thought. Yeah. You know, and and a big part of that is um, I I don't think the government in the way that it is right now and where our, if, you know, because we have to look at the whole political sphere as a whole when we're looking at this, um, I don't think they're willing to do that because literally anything, li- anything could cross the line for them in terms of politics and therefore make them lose the next election. And unfortunately, for the way that U.S. politics works, um, that's what they care about.
0: Well, and I think yeah. that's that's especially true when you really lay out what the paranormal phenomenon is that we're talking about here. I I think there's the vast majority of people wouldn't vote for someone who is calling on a a full government investigation in into werewolf sightings. Cause that's what most people would see the dogman is. Yeah. And, you know, we had numerous sightings, not only on Skinwalker Ranch, but via the hitchhiker phenomenon of what appear to be dogmen and shadow yeah. people. And can you imagine like the 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 US president like having to go my fellow Americans today we must face the threat of the shadow demons yeah. that scream in our closets like
2: Biden's I, off his meds again
1: I would love for for them to do this you know I would love to see uh, our government start looking at the, the at the phenomenon you know in in terms of the the actual whole scope of what it is um I think the three of us here understand what they were, you know, what the authors of this book were saying. That to fully understand the phenomenon, you have to explore all of the phenomenon, not just the nuts and bolts side of it, and not just the consciousness side or the or the woo side of it. You have to explore both. That's they're, and and they're and two I agree. Halves of the same thing. Yeah, e- exactly. I, I and I wholeheartedly agree. I think the only way to fully understand it is to actually look at it as a whole because they are very clearly interconnected somehow.
0: Yeah, I I read once, and I, I really like this idea that if the universe is constructed from consciousness, then everything that is, you know, a mind has to have a physical correlation. What if what we're seeing here is the physical representation that those consciousnesses take when entering our physical reality?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I'm going to hope that with this being a, uh, you know, we say permanent, fully funded office, and I, I want to remind everybody that nothing in the U.S. government is permanent. Uh, we, The idea behind this amendment what, it is to create an office that is permanent and fully funded, and for now it will be, but the next president could Turn that away. I think it was guaranteed. I
0: think right, right now
1: the spending bill. Nothing is still- in this country is guaranteed.
0: Oh, that's a good point. I think I think in the bill they try to specify it will yes. have this many years of funding guaranteed, but
1: nothing is guaranteed because they will just write it off at any moment if they decide that that's that what that's what needs to be done. Like that's just that's just the truth of it. I mean, sure. Yeah, you know. Um, so I don't I, I want Everybody, in my opinion, should look at this with a healthy dose of skepticism, because as much as I want the the government to be involved and actually explore this, because that's how uh, that's how things are going to get done, because they're going to provide the funding, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's going to be the scientists that have been looking into this for years are the ones that are going to be looking into it still. They're not going to just go get some new Joe Schmo off the street to 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 do it. At least we hope. At least we hope not. Um, I mean, they could, but that is a conversation for another day. They call us. You're idiots. <laughs> I'll take the job, but you're an idiot. Um, but like, I, 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 so I hope, I guess my, my, my true answer is I hope that they pick up where OSAP left off. Um, I just don't see that happening, at least not right now. And I, the biggest part of the why behind that is with the exception of like a couple of people who have been involved in that conversation, they're still hard focused on nuts and bolts. Yeah. Like even, and I know like Lou Alzando talks about like the consciousness side of it and stuff when he's in podcast, like when he's on shows and like on podcasts and all that, but I don't. Get the impression that that is the same conversation that he's had with government officials when he's talking about this new program. I mean,
0: that's entirely possible. Like, we're not in that
1: room, so. right? And, and and it's that's based only off of like how he approaches the conversations when he's saying like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to say it this way, or we have to do it this way. And it's like, well, yes. If we want to get the ball moving at the speed of snail, then yes, we have to approach it like this, but I, I think the groundwork needs to be laid immediately that this is more than this, and then it needs to be explored more than this, and if all that you'll give me funding for right now is this part, that's fine, but eventually, we're going to have to look into this too.
0: You know, honestly, you know. I, I do think probably one of the intentions of this book uh, that the authors may have had is to show that that groundwork was done like they, yeah. they, to, to basically make people aware of the groundwork is already there. We can move forward. That said, uh, whatever you want to say, consciousness level or just psychologically I don't think the vast majority of our elected officials are ready to no. move forward. Uh, well, again, you got you got to come back to these are still people, mm-hmm. and what we're talking about here—it's radical. Well, it could represent a fundamental paradigm shift in how most people understand their waking reality. Yeah, like it, it really could. Sure, it could be it's space aliens spraying some funky mist on that ranch and making people hallucinate dogmen. Sure, I I don't know, but. For God's sake,
1: we still have flat earthers on this planet, so they are not ready for this.
0: Yeah. Um, But here's the thing is, there's a part of me that wonders if we'll ever be ready or if it's better to just rip the Band-Aid off, get through the chaos it will cause and see what world comes out the other side.
1: I don't disagree with that um, because uh, if we're going to try and slowball this, it's never going to happen.
0: No, I, I don't disagree. I think... There are certain there are certain human habits that just exist that we have to deal with that make people highly highly resistant to change. Yep. Especially, you know, like we were talking about with uh, fringeology by Steve Volk, uh, our brains react more strongly to threats to our worldview than they do to threats against our life. Yeah, which still that fact runs through my head three times a day and makes me scream every yeah. time. It's just I boggles the mind. Sorry Jay we went off uh you, you got to have a chance to answer the question
2: Um again I I largely concur with uh with Rory I don't I don't think the new office is going to pick up where uh osap left off just because th- this is the existence of osap proves that at this cur at in its current iteration the US gov- government is not I'm just going to go ahead and say it's not emotionally or culturally equipped to deal with what we're doing here. And I, I think that if anything gets done, it's going to unfortunately be they contract out to another for profit third party company that begins doing research with the ultimate aim of increasing their own profitability and that is what's going to result in discoveries, which is also bad.
0: Yeah. I, I think the only other way, other thing that might happen is there's a positive. I mean, because I, I don't disagree with you guys. I don't think they're going to push the ball as far as they could. And that's just based off gut feeling. Yeah. That said, what I could see happening is several of these OSAP scientists, these former mid-scientists, either ending up within the program or within uh, the, an advisory board to the program. And through them, they basically just use that funding and do the research they want to do anyway. And then they, you know, just to say, hey, look, this is real, and then try to brief people on to convince them that we should go forward with it. That said, if that was the approach that happens – I highly suspect whatever their findings are will never see the light of day. Yeah, and again, I, again, it comes back to a lot of people aren't ready, and there is a crippling fear of upsetting the status quo. Yeah, and I think that
1: once again, the, everything comes back to 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 fear of change of all of this because um, one thing that I noticed that is left out in terms of like the government agencies and all of this is we don't really know where the FBI stands on all of this. We don't really know where the CIA stands on all of this. And those are the two that probably have the most information.
0: I mean, we do know that the FBI has files. Yeah. That's as far as we've gotten. Well,
1: and that's what I mean. Like we know that they know things,
0: but we don't know what it is that they know. Like, I wouldn't be honestly, I wouldn't be too surprised if the FBI mostly just had a lot of sighting records because I don't like they have forensic labs. I have never heard of the FBI running full science programs.
1: Not not necessarily. No, I don't think in terms of science, but um, investigations and recovery.
0: Yeah, I could, I could see. Yeah, I, I could see there being a crash recovery team in kind of embedded within the FBI. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Granted, I think it's more likely CIA or DIA. But yeah,
1: no, agreed. I think it's more likely that it would be like the CIA or.
0: Well, uh, um, that's where you get into the whole Collins elite stuff yeah. and the UFOs are demons stuff.
1: I, I honestly like, I, I could go on about this for ever. Because uh, you know the the government and all of this, like they're so scared of honestly. Like, is this going to sound weird and dramatic? But it's true. But the the government is so scared of a civil war in America right now mm-hmm. that literally anything could could be the straw that broke the camel's back. And UAPs, UFOs, they just don't want it to be that and i'm not saying that it would spark something like that but it's so it's so crazy yeah. like what we're talking about is honestly so crazy that it's hard not to 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 understand their point of view from that perspective too like i don't want i don't want to see a civil war break out because we're trying to better the world because ultimately that's what we're trying to do right yeah um but so many people like you said are so resistant to change that this would be this could be that thing that they're like no fuck it i'm done with this place you know
2: and and that's and building building off of that i think i think that's absolutely part of that is just the government knowing that they cannot fully anticipate or control people's response to something like this coming to light or even the response to a possibility that this exists. And I think some, I think a lot more of it is rooted in nine 11 than people Mm -hmm. really think it is of. It's just like we have as a society, not actually fully processed how damaging that was to our overall sense of security. We're still taking off our fucking shoes in the airport 21 years later, even though we know it doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And
1: TSA I'm, has a terrible, terrible success
0: rate.
2: Nine, they missed 97% of contraband.
0: Exactly. It's security theater. It's not there yeah. to catch things. It's there to make you feel safe. Yeah. And
2: and I think the denial is another aspect of security theater. Is I think that I think that people in the government who are in charge of UAPs have basically done the assessment and have gone like they can't handle this. They and and guess what? We can't. The vast majority of the I feel like a lot of Americans would react very poorly to this being confirmed. I think they would react with a lot of anger and a lot of prejudice. And I think that shit would start getting chucked through police station windows because people would just have a complete meltdown over the idea of like, Guess what? There are certain things we can't nuke into submission and that sucks, but there's no other explanation I have for you right now. I mean, I think
1: you're I I think you're right. There would be um, a, a large scale reaction. But ultimately, I I'm going to be on the side of I believe that the vast majority of Americans, while they would react, while some would react poorly at first. Would come around because this has been ingrained like the idea of ufo's uaps alien life has been almost ingrained into our social ide- like social ideology at this point that uh it going from fiction to fact while would be uh jarring would i think the majority of people would come around eventually because they it's a leap but it's not that hard because it's so Hollywood, it's been so Hollywooded or ho, you know, it's been so popularized into our mainstream media that I think they would come around eventually. I,
0: I think the big question there is, uh, it really, I think for me, it comes down to what is included in disclosure. If it's, there are craft visiting us from Zeta retic- uh, reticuli and they, oh, right. sure, they've been abducting some people, but here they are, they're the greys, let's meet them. That I feel like people, like you said, eventually would come around to it if it was, well, all the myths about fairies and jinn and gods are true. There are they are extra they are a race of extra-dimensional entities who live alongside us and project into our reality and it's all about levels of consciousness and the whole world is built on consciousness. I think that. Would that would break people yeah
2: and and that I think is where a lot of the the screaming and throwing Molotov yeah. cocktails and attacking your neighbors because you think they're a doppelganger might start coming from I don't disagree with that,
0: I also think there'd probably be a rash of suicides oh uh, well yeah very similar to very similar to that whole idea of if the afterlife was confirmed, there would be a giant rash of suicides no
1: i yeah no i i wholeheartedly uh i wholeheartedly agree there are things that you know we've talked about that i like if it came to be true i'd be like yep i'd i guarantee you i'd be one of those people just because i don't i know my brain would break you know yeah as deep and saddening as that statement was it's just true
0: okay well on that somber note which yeah. by the way you're not allowed i i know let's take a big step back and i but right before we get into our about the author uh i realized we didn't mention this what'd you guys think of the book oh i enjoyed <laughs> it i i enjoyed it a lot actually yeah okay yeah. yeah i
2: i i enjoyed it i didn't like all of the administrative parts because i'm like if i have to read about budget allocation one more fucking time <laughs> when i came here for talk men that was just
1: like reading stuff at work for me.
0: <laughs> I honestly did feel yeah. like when I got to the budgeting stuff or any of the. the um, God, oh, basically just the constant discussion of all the, U- the U.S. government agencies yelling at each other. Yeah. It just felt like every meeting I've ever yep. been at
1: the bureaucracy. It's like, yep, I get it. Yeah, I, just,
2: <laughs> I felt like Roy Kent in that one episode of Ted Lasso, when it's like, I haven't read a single scouting report the entire time I've worked here. I've lied every time it's come up. And I won't do it. <laughs> it's just like, that was just like I read the administrative parts because this is a podcast and it's important that I know these things. But every single time it's like I've lied about it all the time and I won't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked it. I thought that, like you guys said, there were a few parts that were a little dry. Um, the only thing really that I... I, I even ended up not being able to fully cut it out of my summary. I feel like the book repeated details a bit too. A long. lot. Yeah. Like it, it, which here's the thing though. I do understand it from the point of view of they wanted to hammer a few core messages home For two readers who explicitly have not done the research we've done, you know, who are not invested in this world, yeah, Uh, it it very again, it very much felt like we need to make sure no matter who picks up this book, they understand what we're talking about here.
1: And we're going to encounter that in every book we read because you know every every book we read, with maybe the exception of some of the more uh, scientific side or you know whatever, most of these books are going to be written so that anybody can read them. So that's just something that we're going to have to get used to, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I, 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 I think don't, I'm going to find some. I'm going to find some really dense shit that you, that is completely impenetrable. I sent you that one. It's like 8,000 pages or something. Okay, we're not doing that one. Uh, I know. No, no. Hell, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what my chapter notes would look like for that? I mean, fucking 300 pages. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, fuck that. Not, I I saw that book and I was super interested in it until I saw how long it it's was. It's sent
0: to you in a three ring binder. Yeah. OK, so back on the topic of 200 page books, let's talk about the authors. So this is going to be a little longer than you're normal about the author because there's three of them. Um, and uh, just a note, Dr. Colm Kelleher and Dr. James Lekatsky, there is not a lot out there, especially for Lekatsky, uh, presumably because he's still embedded in government work. Yep. So uh, this is what we got, starting with George Knapp. Uh, Knapp was born April 18th, 1953 in Woodbury, New Jersey, and he grew up in Northern California. He moved to Las Vegas in 1979 and worked as a taxi driver to support himself. He earned his bachelor's degree in communications from West Georgia College and his master's degree in communications from the University of the Pacific. He also taught speech and debate and was director of forensics at the University of the Pacific. He also taught speech at California Polytechnic University and coached the debate team at the University of California and taught broadcast journalism at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Since 1995, he has worked as the chief reporter at KLAS-TV, serving on the I-Team Investigative Unit. In that work, he has won five regional and two national Edward R. Murrow Awards. He is the nine-time winner of the Associated Press Mark Twain Award for Best Newswriting, and his investigative reports have drawn many accolades, including the DuPont Award from Columbia University, the Peabody Award, which he won twice, and the 24 regional Emmys. His 1990 series on UFOs was selected by United Press International as best in nation for individual achievement by a journalist, as it was this work which not only brought the story of Bob Lazar to the light, but also revealed the existence of Area 51, or S4, to the public. Sadly, as a side note, during this time, he also reprinted and reported heavily on the conspiracy theories of Bill Cooper, which he now calls his eternal shame. He also serves as a frequent guest host on radio platform Coast to Coast AM. Uh, He worked extensively with Bigelow's NIDS team and, along with Kelleher, wrote about that work in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker. When not investigating the strange, he has a passion for animal welfare and has performed many investigations into and worked to combat animal cruelty. And uh, in media, he's made light appearances in movies, including his role as a news anchor in CSI Vegas, as well as the Area 51 found footage horror movie, which is a B plus. It's okay. It's 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 fun. Uh, He's also appeared in and produced several UFO centric documentaries. Moving on to our next guy, Dr. Colm Kelleher. He attended the University of Dublin, Trinity College, where he earned a Ph.D. in biochemistry in 1983 He has a 15-year-long career, including work at the Ontario Cancer Institute, the Terry Fox Cancer Research Laboratory, and the National Jewish Center for Immunology and Respiratory Medicine. From 1996 to 2004, he led the NIDS team in their investigations of Skinwalker Ranch and other anomalous areas. He worked as the laboratory director at Prosetta Biosciences from 2003 to 2008, was the Deputy Administrator of Bass from 2008 to 2012, and then spent seven years serving as the Vice President and Chief Scientist of Environmental Control and Life Support Systems at Bigelow Aerospace. His work at Bigelow Aerospace led directly to the development of life support systems for Bigelow's expandable spacecraft for low Earth orbit. In addition to this book and Hunt for the Skinwalker, he also wrote Brain Trust, The Hidden Connections Between Mad Cow and Misdiagnosed Alzheimer's Disease, which posits that the 2003 outbreak of Mad Cow had already been rampant before it became public knowledge and continued long after the crisis ended. And he has appeared as himself in a small number of documentaries, including the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary and the television docu-series In Search of – He also appeared in a video documentary titled Frankensteer, about how the modern cow has been transformed into an antibiotic dependent, hormone laced factory of toxic bacteria. Yummy.
1: Kind of glad I gave up meat now.
0: (laughs) And our last author, Dr. James Lekatsky, was born January 9th, 1951. He has a B.S., M.S., and doctorate in nuclear engineering with expertise in fusion plasmas and directed energy weapons. Oh, so he's smarter than me. (laughs) From 1984 to 1986, he, he jointly authored several papers on plasma engineering in Torsitron reactors. In 1986, he also served as engineer assistant in the nuclear design section of the Duke Power Company, where he helped design nuclear cores. Afterwards, he entered government work and was a legitimate rocket scientist for the Department of Defense. By 2004, he was listed as a ballistic missile expert and worked in missile defense programs. And the only other thing I could find is, according to Lou Elizondo, Lakatsky's career was badly derailed post-OSAP by select government insiders who believe that UAP are associated with demons and anti-Judeo-Christian beliefs. And uh, as a last note here, I stumbled across a quote from Colin Kelleher, which speaks to an idea that we have espoused often on the show. So I thought it'd be a fun thing to end on. Cool. Um, And this is the quote. In the future, an adventurous sociologist might consider writing a paper that examines the caste system in anomalous research. The nuts and bolts UFO research people regard the psychosocial UFO researchers with disdain. UFO researchers in general regard the cryptozoologists with contempt. Cryptozoologists who embrace the possibility of a paranormal connection to Bigfoot sightings are generally viewed with derision because of the prevailing view that Sasquatch is an undiscovered primate species, not an interdimensional playmate of alien beings. Likewise, the paranormal researchers view the UFO researchers with disdain, while the ghost hunters keep their distance from everybody else. And all of this hostility and contempt is a vain and so far unsuccessful attempt to earn a small measure of respect and acceptance and maybe funding from mainstream science, a lofty but unlikely goal. I just like that quote. Oh, that's a good quote. Uh, And that brings us to the end of our our, our romp here. Yeah. So, if you liked
1: what you heard. What are you doing? What? Housekeeping. You didn't say it. I know. I was trying to ignore that. Housekeeping, housekeeping, housekeeping,
2: housekeeping, housekeeping.
1: So, if you liked what you heard, please, 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 please like and subscribe, uh, and leave us a review if you're on Spotify or Apple. Five stars, please, only five stars. I just review us. We need reviews. Yeah, I mean, I'll t- I guess I'll take any review. We want feedback. Like, honestly, we do. Like, if we suck, please tell us. I'll tell you you're wrong, but tell us anyway. Um, you suck. Thanks. Thank you for your feedback. Feedback is a gift.
0: I really, I really hated your response there because it sucked all the vitriol out of my statement. <laughs> I do that. That's what I do at work. That's the <laughs>
2: tactic we need to use with Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, if you like what you heard, like I said, like and subscribe. Give us, a, give us a review, and please. Go ahead. Follow us on social media. I'm pretty active on our Twitter account, and that's at Pod. And then I'm very active on my own Twitter account, which is at MixRoryWicks, which is MX, because I've never said this. It's MX and then Roy
0: Wicks. And I am at Bearish Terror. I'm on there often.
2: I'm at MidwestUndead, and I'm also Podcast on Tumblr, which still exists and is active. Stop saying it's dead. It's right there. And we have
0: an
1: Instagram, Noctivigant underscore
0: podcast. And we also have a Reddit account, Noctificant Podcast, where we often interact with you, our listeners.
1: And like I said, we do really, truly want to interact with you all. So if you follow us on the social medias and you want to talk, shoot us a message, tag us in something. It doesn't really matter. We'll see it and we'll talk to you because it's fun and this is what we like to do. But coming up next week, we're going to be talking to Ron James, the media director for MUFON. And founder of MUFON TV. So that's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah. And in two weeks, our next episode comes out where we take on Season of the Witch. How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll by Peter Biebergal. Peter P. Peter P. And I am so excited. I've been wanting to read that book for literally years
1: now. Yeah, I'm I'm so amped for this one. I'm, I'm so ready.
0: I I have been, I, I've i only read the prologue so far, but as I'm writing and reading and taking notes, I'm listening to the best of Bowie the whole time. And it's perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's good, good combo.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I, I basically found a playlist of nothing but his songs that have occult references. And I've just been running through those. Send me that playlist. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Last words? I mean, I'm not going to die, so... Last words for the episode. Oh. No, I said a lot of words already. All right, well then, take us out of here. All right, good night, my ghosties. Good night, my ghoulies. Good night, my moth people. Stay safe out there, people.
2: Don't get lost.
0: Or do. Oh, God, you're me. Somebody had to. (laughs) Personally, I'm just glad we got through a book that featured dog man without description of dog dong.